Making It Plain, a podcast dedicated to discussing real issues that impact Black communities, Black families, and Black women. Your host, Dr. Key, is dedicated to discussing Black issues in a way everyone can relate. Welcome to Making It Plain with Dr. Key. I am your host, Dr. Key, and today we are discussing the Black immigrant experience. I have with me Dr. Omatayo Banjo. She's a media psychologist and studies identity in the media. Her most recent project focuses on immigrants. Welcome, Dr. Omatayo. Thank you for having me. <laughs> we are excited to really discuss um, some of the Black immigrant experiences because we have not really broached this topic at all. And I think it's so important. So what can you tell us about Black immigrant experiences in the United States? Well, I can tell you what intrigues me about Black immigrants' experience. Um, as a person who studies identity, and more specifically racial identity, one of the limitations of race as a construct in North America is that it puts people in color categories, and it doesn't really identify ethnicity and nationality that many Black immigrants um, mostly identify with before they come here. And then they have to learn to adjust themselves to the racial categories that are assigned them here. So that's one of the reasons why I think it's really important because it, it really um, destabilizes these static ideas of what race is. Black is not just one thing, just as white isn't just one thing. Um, and so that's why I think it's really important to understand all the different nuances of the Black immigrant experience. I think that's so important because when you look at any form that they have you complete, right? It's, it's basically Black, white, other, Hispanic, not Hispanic, right? Right. And so you have to figure out how what, what color to put right. yourself in instead of being able to identify yourself as an ethnicity, right? right. Or to right. be able to um, acknowledge your heritage, um, right. so to speak. And so I can imagine how, that, how that's difficult, but I can see that being difficult in a number of other ways as well. When we start talking about um, discrimination in the United States, racism in the United States, what are, in your view, what are Black immigrants experiencing? Well, that's one of the other things that's a misconception about Black immigrants. So they don't experience um, the same things as Black Americans do. And, and what I'm referencing is one of the critiques of the ADOS movement, um, which is African descendants of slaves who sort of think that there's this great distinction between Black immigrants and um, Black Americans. And there are some meaningful distinctions, but um, Black immigrants, just like Black Americans or American-born Africans, as one research call, researcher calls them, do experience um, discrimination, if not more. They have the bias of their skin against them, and then they have the bias of their accents against them. Um, and then if, depending on how well they speak English, although Black immigrants do speak the best English, um, according to Pew Research Center, um, compared to all other immigrants. But if they have any issues with their language, they have now a language barrier that works against them. So um, Black immigrants actually do experience just as much, if not a little bit more, discrimination when it comes to jobs, um, when it comes to just everyday life. Black immigrants are not uh, exempt from discrimination. Um, and so, yeah, that's just the reality of what it is to be Black in this country. I have heard people say things like, you know, um, Black immigrants 
don't understand, yeah. right, what the Black experience is because they have not had to been here long enough to deal with it generation after generation. Right. Um, in your view, what is that initial, like, culture shock for Black immigrants? Like, because I can imagine coming from their country to here and immediately having to be like, what is this that I'm experiencing? Because maybe they didn't experience that type of discrimination. What is that like? I mean, it's such a nuanced thing because um, even when you were talking about the census um, and you were talking about how some people, like we have but so many options. For some Black immigrants, um, and I want to include Afro, Latina, Latin Americans in this conversation, um, like those who are from Latin American cultures where they are much more familiar with colorism. Like they have their own different racial kinds of categories there. So they're a little more familiar with, am I Mestit Matizo or some other um, category? Um, so depending on where you're coming from is going to probably impact the way an individual experiences adjusting to race here in North America. Um, but I can speak for my parents, um, and I'm a second generation American. I was born here. I've heard stories from them just about coming from a majority in Nigeria, you know? So there are three major, um, tribes over almost 300 tribes in Nigeria. Um, but Yoruba people are among the majority numerically. And when you are part of the majority, to some extent, you and you come to a country that's trying to tell you that you're less than, when you come from a country where there have been kings, like this is not like Hotep back in Egypt, you know, ancient Egypt days. No, they're king. People recognize your, your royal lineage till, till today in Nigeria, at least. And, and that's probably true for much of Africa. So you come from a place where you have access to, to property and resources and you have respects commanded to you. And then you come here and you're told you can't do anything besides X, Y, Z. I imagine that is uh, pretty shocking and devastating. But one thing I've also observed about Black immigrants, um, including Caribbeans um, as well, is that the mentality is uh, that's not going to deter me um, from achieving success because they left their countries for a reason. They want better for themselves and, and their families. So it's an adjustment, but they don't seem to let it deter them as much, I think. I have some friends in Jamaica, and I love going to Jamaica, but <laughs> we sit down and we talk about this. And I have one of my friends who her um, her father was raising them in the UK, and then they started to experience some type of um, um, discriminatory discrimination, and he did not want his children to be raised as being inferior. So he took them back to Jamaica to actually raise his children. He refused to raise them in an environment where they felt less than, and he mm. felt like they would have more love of their culture and of themselves being raised in Jamaica. And I love when she tells that story because then she talks about how she came to the U.S. and went to school and got her education. Um, and she's a psychologist as well, a PhD, and how she even went back to Jamaica and is now raising her children in Jamaica. And just that, that, that cultural 
um, wanting to raise them in a culture where they are the majority so they can feel so highly of themselves so that if they do decide to come to another country and pursue life and a career, they're already sort of um, amped up, empowered, mm-hmm. love themselves enough mm-hmm. to where they won't let the environment that they're in sort of shape them. Um, and I just found that so amazing, right? Yeah. That, that, that focus on going back to a place where you are the majority and you don't have to feel like mm-hmm. inferior or like you're, you're less than or be treated badly so that, um, you have that really high self-esteem and you have, you know, your culture, right. you know, your heritage, mm-hmm. um, how important that is. Right. So I totally, I totally under, understand. I, I also traveled, um, to Germany. Hmm. And I was expecting to to work with some refugees, and I had been told that a lot of them were fleeing um, fleeing different com- countries like uh, Palestine and stuff like that. And so I was expecting to work with a certain um, culture of immigrants when I got there, and I ended up working with Nigerians. Oh wow! Um, Nigerians that had left their country to come to Germany in pursuit of something better. They mm-hmm. walked like a very long way mm-hmm. um, and did whatever they had to do for money along the way to come to Germany. And they, they were saying, yes, from yeah. Nigeria. Yes, wow. it was, it was, yes. And a lot mm-hmm. of them were men. A lot of them were men and they were young men. Mm-hmm. And I had, I did like, um, mindfulness workshops and stuff with them. But I had a conversation because I wanted to know like the journey, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about how they they were living like in these refugee camps. And I was there um, working with some social workers who had a relationship with the refugee camp, which is how I was able to get into the refugee camp. Mm-hmm. And I talked to them and they were like really um, sort of struggling in Germany because Germany was sending them back. And what they said is that they would not learn German, German, and they were not teachable. That's what they would label them as. And mm-hmm. if you're not teachable, then you have to get sent back because you have to know German in order to stay in Germany. So they would label them. That's a form of discrimination right mm-hmm. there. That, that was my yeah. first instance with mm-hmm. um, how countries are still doing these discriminatory practices. And I met with social workers and they agree, like, that is what they do, Right. They mm-hmm. let them come there. They go through this process. They try to appeal, um, but they have to stay on these camps and they can't leave because they are labeled not teachable, which mm-hmm. means they can't work, which means they cannot become a citizen in Germany. And so they end up getting sent back. So many of the guys that were there, they were stressed out. They were young people. They had come there. They said they come there just to have something better, that they were they didn't have much in their country, so they wanted something better for themselves. And so they came together. One guy even came by himself. Um, and, and they got there thinking it would be better, and they're in these camps. Mm-hmm. And so being there is just like a really stressful experience. I even saw one guy during my time there. He had gotten the news that they were shipping him back, and he was just upset, right? And now I'm trying to practice mindfulness with them. And he's like... Mm-hmm. Like, how can I, be <laughs> right? Right, right. Uh, so we ended up just having a conversation. So the experiences of Black immigrants and 
them being treated um, unfairly or, or mm. experiencing racism and discrimination is is rampant, just like it is rampant for Black Americans. But I think people don't don't acknowledge that. They think yeah. it must be easy. Um, no, I'm, yeah. I was going to say the, the tensions between having a home and leaving home for something better is a, is a, is a heavy one because majority and i'm this is a, sweep, a sweeping generalization but majority white countries um have a way of trying to make dark people feel bad about themselves mm-hmm. um and so at the same time because of colonialism there are very real effects of the the uh, impact of colonialism on these countries um and so that's why they have to leave mm-hmm. Um, and so they leave to try to find something better, but then you have to choose, am I going to try to work and try to see if I can make some money for myself? And also at the same time, experience and accept being discriminated against, um, being told I'm less than. Um, that's just a really hard decision to have to make. Um, so that's one thing I was thinking. And then to your point, I remember there was a time many um, African immigrants were like, jumping into the I forget what body of water is nearby maybe it was the Mediterranean mm-hmm. just trying to swim over to a European country mm-hmm. and they were getting shot down mm-hmm. um and I forget what led to this influx of immigrants in in Europe but I remember learning about the increase of African immigrants in Italy um yes. and and they're, all- they're coming by way Many of them are crossing from Italy into Germany. Oh. Germany uh, at the time had made an announcement that all immigrants are all oh, are, okay. are welcome here, oh, and wow. so they're crossing from Italy into Germany. But yes, there are a lot on the, even on the streets in in Italy. In Italy, and speaking of streets, so I went to Italy. I was by myself. I forget what town I was. Pagoda, I think it was. Um, I was just strolling the streets, and I did see a lot of. Black people, but once they talked, I learned that they were, I heard their accents. So I knew they were um, African immigrants. I go into a restaurant, I get cold stares, and then I say, hi. And then I see they, them smile at me. Mm-hmm. They became warm. And it hit me because someone said something to me during my trip, too, like, oh, those people, they've come to destroy our country. Mm-hmm. And so Black immigrants are experiencing discrimination everywhere. Um, they had more favor towards me as a black American than the black immigrants there. So it's a shame that dark people around the world seem to, um, be having, um, seem to be treated so poorly. Yeah. And I feel like no one just has a conversation. Those men were happy to talk to me. Like we just sat and talked about, I wanted to know the journey. I wanted to know why they left. Um, I want to know what was going on. What was the turmoil that made them leave? Um, all of those things. And they talked to me. It was as if no one had ever asked them. Hmm. What was their journey? Why did they leave? What was their interest? Um, and it was just a great eye-opening conversation because I came there expecting to see and work with a, num- a certain type of population. That's what I was told uh, mm-hmm. prior to coming. And the majority were black immigrants mm. and they were from 
Uganda. The majority was Nigerian, mm-hmm. which surprised me. Um, but they were from Uganda and other places as well. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was just, it's just interesting that we make as a society um, a lot of assumptions about the experiences yeah. of people, which mm-hmm. is why it was so important for us to have this conversation that Black immigrants also experience yeah. what, we, what we experience as Black people, right? Yeah. Um, and they are part of the Black diaspora. Like, like yes. we, we are part of, of that one and the same and have some of those yes. same experiences. Yes, exactly. This episode is sponsored by Belinda B, the original boss bag designed for women on the go. Visit bbbossbags.com. I think we talked about why, why it's important to notice, but you have a, a, a book coming out and I want to know if you can just share with us a little bit about that book, um, that work, what you're doing and why that is important. Yes, I actually have two books coming out um, inspired by uh, this interest in immigrants and um, the immigrant story. The first one is an academic press book, um, but it is called Immigrant Generations, Media Representations and Audiences. Um, And in that book, um, it's an edited volume um, that I am editing. And so there are many contributors and they basically talk about the importance of representation in media and the value of seeing people like Margaret Cho or a show like Bob Hart's Abishola um, or One Day at a Time or Jane the Virgin, all of these different narratives or Raimi on Hulu, who is a, a Muslim Egyptian, right? Being able to see people who are not just black or white, um, it's much more nuanced than that. And as a media psychologist, my interests lie in how does the media help us see people better? How can it help us see people better? Because it's done a great job at affecting uh, our stereotyping of people. Um, so that book is coming out in August. But my newest project is um, a compilation of letters from immigrants and their children. So first and second generation Americans. Um, and it's called Dreams for Our Children, Letters to the Future, Immigrant Letters to the Future. And that book basically is just a collection of letters, heartfelt letters from people from all different backgrounds, um, Korea, the Philippines, um, Chile, Cuba, Jamaica, Ghana, um, Italy, Poland, um, where they are expressing their hearts for their kids in this country. So they came here or they were born here um, and they had hopes for their children. Um, they had hopes for themselves. And when dealing with the reality of discrimination in this country, what, what do you tell your kids? What do we tell the future? What do we tell them about this tension between belonging somewhere and also having another place to go? Um, and how are they different? How is the Polish experience different from a Jamaican's experience? How is the Cuban's experience different from a Chilean experience? And how they make sense of their own identities as well. And everyone is, you know, has their own individual hopes for their kids. Some people want them to choose their own path. Some people want them to Sankofa, go back home, don't forget your roots. But these are the kinds of questions and things that people who are born in between or people who are foreign born in a different country sort of grapple with. And I just wanted to be able to capture those sentiments and have us think about 
what do we hope for our kids? And how can we make a better, in a sense, world or America for our children, a better place for them to feel safe in their in-betweenness? So, so that's the, um, the book that is going to be self-published and I'll be um, starting a campaign um, to get that, uh, the funding for the self-published publication started. Wow, it just sounds like an amazing sort of tearjerker book, right? Because yeah. <laughs> you'll have some of that that heartfelt sentiments, but also some of that journey um, that they've experienced in the, in those books. So, have you started mm. reading those letters? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as as the editor, as the person sort of like is functioning as a producer for the book, um, I've had to go through all the letters, and there are moments I had to stop um, and just sit with some of the, the feelings that they had, some of the contributors, mm-hmm. in terms of thinking about, you know, did I make the right decision coming here? Mm-hmm. You know, even like what we were talking about with Black immigrants, um, in your own country, your royalty, um, and maybe not necessarily, not everybody's a king, you know, or a queen, but in your own country, you don't have to question how to pronounce your name or if you're different. But here, I've got to teach you how to be proud of who you are. I got to do this extra work of doing that. Um, and so it's it's really touching to see people talk about their journeys or just to hear people talk about their journeys and what they went through and what they want for their kids. Um, so yes, it's actually very moving. A couple of times I, I had to pause. And what I really enjoy too is that I'm an American-born Nigerian, I guess. (laughs) I'm still trying to figure out my language, but my parents are immigrants. I was born here. And it's just so comforting to read someone, a letter from someone who's Indian and, or someone who's Korean and think me too. And I think that's something else that's, that really motivates this project. In America, it's so easy to be siloed and to assume that, you know, the Black immigrants are here, the the European immigrants are here, the Asian immigrants, but we have very similar stories of assimilation, adjustment, discrimination, identity negotiation. And it's unfortunate um, that at times it seems like, I don't know who is behind it, but it seems like immigrants are sort of having to be pit against each other, but we could do wonders if we created more solidarity and understood we're all in this together. We're all trying to figure out how to make our space here and how to make a life for our children together. Mm. That's powerful. I I wonder um, when were these letters written? So I know as an editor, you're you're editing during a period of time, but were these letters written during the time that we're experiencing now, like since the George Floyd murder and all the civil unrest? And do you believe that that those events that we witnessed had an impact on the letters that were written. Yeah, I actually, um, I'll start with what inspired the the project. I was listening to um, Jesus and Jaloth, a podcast hosted by um, Yvonne Orji and Lovey Ajayi. Um, And their podcast came out sometime around 2017, 2018. Um, And it was the first time that I, I got to see I got to really interrogate what was going on within me since the election of 2016. Mm-hmm. When Trump um, won the election, 
And actually, I learned that he won it because I had just gotten into Philly. Somebody was honking at me and screaming out the window. It was a white woman. And I kept thinking, why is she honking at me? Like, why me? You don't know who I supported. She's probably assuming I I, I, uh, supported Hillary at the time. And it was the beginning of me thinking about my own place. Like, what if they did send us back? Where am I going to go? And and I have a place where I can go. And so that's sort of what the the catalyst for the project was. And I think after the election, anti-immigrant sentiment, you know, went up. Um, And then, of course, around this time, I started soliciting soliciting the letters. It took about a year. Um, There were some that were written during the time of, you know, the post after the 2016 election, there were some that were written um, after George Floyd. And so for those who are written after George Floyd, they're much more aware of um, racial injustice. Even one of the letters written by one of my contributors who's Polish, he had to reflect. And he had to, he tells, he tells his son, this country isn't okay for isn't hasn't been a best the best experience for people who don't look like us. So, and I do think, you know, George Floyd's death really put onto people's consciousness like this police brutality thing is a real thing. Yeah. People have not just been complaining for nothing. And so, I think the context of just post 2016 increase of police brutality, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd have really gotten many of my contributors to think about what kind of world do I want for my child? Who do I want them to be? What's their contribution to this whole issue of diversity and inclusion in this in these United States? I think that's so important that um, you talked about the, the gentleman that's Polish. And I have a friend and she, you know, always says that because my skin is white, people assume that I'm white and I don't identify as white, right? Mm-hmm. That is not my nationality, that's not my ethnicity, that's not my heritage. But because my skin is white, I'm expected to be white. I'm expected to mark white, right, mm-hmm. on the the um any survey, right, anything that she takes. But she also talked about some of her experiences at home and how she's very aware of discriminatory practices and how it was very visible for her hear how people were being treated wrong. And she didn't want to even identify as white because of what she witnessed, right? Um, And I just think that's a very interesting concept to think about, um, that there are immigrants that have white skin and they're automatically thought of as white or accepted or, or whatever. And no one ever asks them their experience or how they identify, Right. Um, right. And and so some changes have to occur, right? To to yeah. be able to ask people um, how they identify, right? And, and that goes to what I was saying earlier about about the limitations of racial constructs in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and also the power of media to disrupt those limitations. Because when you're watching a TV show and you find out that the character you're watching is not white but Spaniard, Spanish, mm-hmm. Argentinian. Chilean, Venezuelan, you know, there's, there's a, an ethnicity or a nationality attached to this person, not just this universal white character or um, Russian, Ukrainian, Yugoslav, something a little more nuanced than white um, or Nigerian, Ghanaian. Um, it helps us understand this country really is a country of immigrants. Um, I know they want to tell us that's not true. And, and 
unfortunately, immigrants came and took over uh, from the natives who are here, but it's become a, a country of multiculturalism, um, a country where our language is not English anymore. It is a composite of all the different languages that from the people who, who came here and made a life here. And so one of the things I want to do with my work is to stake our claim, to say that, um, you know, you don't get to tell us that we don't belong here. We, we made this country. Immigrants make this country, right? In a country where, in a time when there was, there's a, you know, supporters of uh, Trump who, who believe in this idea that immigrants are the enemy. No, no, no. We all have a heritage. We all have something that connected us, you know, back to somewhere else. And we're all making something new here. That's, that's the nature of this country. And so I want to be able to, to um, encourage a sense of pride in our heritage and celebrate that. Mm-hmm. So you talked about um, raising funding for your, your book. How can yeah. people support this project? So the campaign is going to be um, launched on July 15th. Um, it's going to cost about uh, 12000 to um, get the book printed, um, hardback, paperback, and distributed into to stores. Um, and so I'm going to launch that campaign and circulate it. And when people give whatever they're able to give, they'll get different kinds of rewards, including um, a free copy of the book. Um, whether digital or paperback, depending on what they're willing to give. Um, a t-shirt, a heritage t-shirt that I design personally, um, or a sweatshirt, or books that they can give to their library um, or to a friend, um, and or a feature on my blog, Unapologetically Us, um, as well as um, possibly a feature on the podcast that I have, um, Unapologetically Us. So there are a number of different kind of kinds of rewards that are available. It will be um, the campaign will be going on for a little over a month, and so I'm hoping that within a month I can get all that I need to get this book um, impressed and into the hands of people. Mm. So how can people follow you? You you said you have a website. Yes. Um, so I have um, my blog, Unapologetically Us. That's uh, un-apologetically-us.com. Um, and I also have my Instagram, that's Dr. O Banjo, um, as, as well as my Twitter, Dr. O Banjo, that's B-A-N-J-O. Um, and so they can follow me on my social media, contact me through my blog. Um, I'm going to be, or my LinkedIn, <laughs> on Matayo Banjo. And, and there's where I'm going to post the link to the campaign. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I think this conversation is so important in really understanding just the experiences of immigrants, but also the experiences of Black immigrants and how those experiences, though different, are very similar, right? Yeah. And and um, my podcast is dedicated to um, exploring Black communities and Black experiences and Black families and Black immigrants are a part of that. Yes. Uh, so thank you for sharing your insight. Thank you for joining us. Thank Thank you you to all of our listeners for listening to Making It Plan with Dr. Key. You can follow us on Instagram at Making It Plan with Dr. Key. And we look forward to having Dr. Banjo back once her book is out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Making It Plain with your host, Dr. Key. 
This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Sparkman Key Consulting, LLC. Check us out at www.thedrkey.com.